Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Um, and this is where we get where C.S. Lewis comes in, because, of course, you know, is there anywhere where God isn't? The answer is no. And that includes hell. In, 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 I know that there'll be theologians that are throwing uh, objects at the, uh, at the, the, the screen now. To say this. <laughs> C.S. Lewis describes heaven and hell and purgatory as places we choose to go. Do the theological opinions of this beloved Anglican writer reflect the teachings of the Catholic Church? I ask a Catholic writer and Lewis expert, Joseph Pierce, on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought a lot about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this format in dialogue and back and forth may help us approach the truth and have a great time doing it. If you'd like to take the conversation a step further, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. My guest today is Joseph Pierce. He's the director of book publishing at the Augustine Institute, the editor of the St. Austin Review, and series editor of the Ignatius Critical Editions. Visit his website at jpierce.co. That's Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E, jpierce.co. He's the author of some 30 books, many of which are about literature and the Catholic Christian faith. He writes about Shakespeare and Oscar Wilde, Evelyn Waugh, Graham Greene, Dante, Cervantes, and many more, but especially about J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. And today I want to ask him about Lewis. Two of his books are C.S. Lewis and the Catholic Church, and also Further Up and Further In, Understanding Narnia. And then I have this list of your books, which I cut and paste here, and it starts with A, B, C, D, and goes all the way down to I, I, J, J, K, K. So this is over 30 books. Uh, it's an astounding, an astounding and prolific over, and I congratulate you. So welcome. Welcome, Joseph Pierce, and how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, would you like to tell us a joke? Uh, sure. So I, I, you know, I like to tell jokes that maybe have some sort of more serious applicability. So there's a couple of good tell, but I'll tell one. So it's a, it's an Irish joke uh, in the sense that it's set in Ireland, and there's an American, and he's uh, he's touring Ireland in a car, and he's in the country back roads of the, of the west of Ireland where very few people live, and he. He uh, sees this sort of uh, rustic Irishman sitting on a fence, uh, sucking on a straw. <laughs> and about 45 minutes later, he sees the same rustic Irishman sitting, uh, sucking on a straw and realizes he's been driving around in circles uh, and he's hopelessly lost. So he pulls over and he says to the Irishman, he says, um, excuse me, he says, uh, you know, I, 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 I seem to have lost my way. He said, I, I, could you tell me how I get to Limerick? And the Irishman looks at him for, for a bit, bit uh, scratches his head, sucks on his straw a bit more and says, well, if I were you, he said, uh, I wouldn't start from here. 
<laughs> now, yeah. now, now, the reason the reason I, I mean I like that joke as a joke in yeah. itself, uh, but but the but the but the thing about it is, of course, is there's a lot of wisdom there because um, we all have to start from where we are, not where we want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, we might all think uh, because of where we are in life, uh, at least if not now, then at various times in our past, that I you know, I really wish I wasn't in the situation I'm in now, but you know, this is where we are and we have to find our way by the help of God from where we are, however lost we feel we are. So there's actually a lot of wisdom, uh, if you like, that can be gleaned from that sort of somewhat uh, trivial joke. Yeah, no, amen. And sometimes the fastest way to get to where you're going is to turn right around and go back to the last intersection. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something that C.S. Lewis tells us. And, um, I, I, uh, I've known you, I've known who you are for a long time. And uh, three days ago, you very generously agreed to talk to me, even though I am very sure your schedule is quite full and there's lots and lots of people who want to talk to you. But you were especially kind uh, and agreeing to this to this interview. And, and my problem is I have a real theological pickle. And the reason I need your help is because five days ago, today is uh, when we, we are recording this on Friday, uh, March 18th. And five days ago on Saturday, I was recording the previous episode with my old friend, David Basil, who is today a teacher of Catholic theology, but who had been a Buddhist monk for 10 years when he was younger. And toward the end of our discussion, we were musing about what eternity might look like and what it, and our ideas of heaven and hell. And I suggested to him that I thought that when Jesus descended into hell after his death on Holy Saturday, as we say in the creed every Sunday, I rather imagine that he was kicking open the doors to that prison house. And I thought that hell, therefore, must be pretty depopulated and that those who choose to stay there are really slaves of their own rebellious pride and not the, the, the miserable banished of some vengeful God. And so I base my um, speculation on largely on C.S. Lewis, who who um, refers to that little circle of petulant dwarves in the last battle, or Napoleon stomping around his empty, shady palace in the Great Divorce. Uh, Another example that came to me um, since that talk uh, in the last few days was in Screwtape Letters, where the the senior demon who's consulting his nephew says that if Satan would only apologize to God, the whole war could be over tomorrow. Uh, But as soon as I was saying these things, I felt that I'd ventured into the deep end of the pool, and I wasn't sure if what I was saying was true or or on solid theological ground, and I, or or just rather something that I wished to be true dearly, that would therefore make the universe conform to my own sense of justice rather than making my own sense of justice conform to God's universe. But you know C.S. Lewis very well, and you know the orthodox teachings of the Catholic Church, and so I wanted to ask, uh, what do you say? Well, first, it was a great question. You are, you are correct, of course. These are deep theological waters that have puzzled uh, theologians uh, since since the, the, the early days of the church. Uh, I, I would say something in a general theological sense first. I think we do need to dis- dis- distinguish between the hell, uh, perhaps in inverted commas, that to which Christ descends following um, his death uh and and the the eternal hell um because um the 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 hell to which Christ is after his death is sometimes called limbo uh in other words that 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 no the, the gates of heaven were not opened uh 
until the the uh, the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So prior to that, that nobody could get to heaven. But then, but then, of course, the, the thing is complicated or taken deeper, should we say, by uh, our need to understand eternity uh, and to understand that from God's omnipresence. Um, one of the attributes, one of the divine attributes, of course, is omnipresence, or omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence. And God's omnipresence is not primarily that He's present everywhere, though, of course, He is. You know, He's on my head, He's under the table, etc. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh, that's true. But in a deeper sense, it's because everything is present to God. Uh, there's nowhere that God isn't, and that includes time, but, but there's no past and no future uh, with respect to God's relationship to time. All time is present to him. So in, in one sense, of course, um, uh, there, uh, the God's, God knows, you can't even say God knew, but yeah. God knows when he creates man and he did he knows when he creates the angels uh that there will be rebellion and he knows the cost and he knows that he will pay it uh uh he knows that he pays it i should say he said i'm falling into quoting past and future tense here so all of that is within the omnipresence of god so that's something we have to understand first of all um so when we talk about uh god uh, Christ descending into into hell following his death, uh, it's basically just showing us that without his dying and ultimate resurrection, there is no uh, opening of the gates to heaven. There is there is no way of our escaping uh, limbo, shall we say this this ab- this this inability to get to heaven. Hell could, on could, could you uh, st- so does uh, let me just confirm I understand even somebody like. Abraham or Moses, right? Moses dies looking across the river at the promised land. Are you saying that then he enters into this period of centuries where he's waiting for Jesus to ri- to die and rise again before he can enter into heaven? No, well, before I hate Abraham, I am, says Jesus. So that's the omnipresence there. But, well, the point is you have to understand. Or is, there's no time. It's like leaving the timeline. Stepping exactly. off of the timeline. So okay. let, let's say, let's say, for instance, that you know, that's the, like the argument is when we die, do we go to heaven or do we sort of uh, lounge around in, in our in our graves for X thousand years until until the end times? Well, the point is, when we die, we leave time and enter God's presence. Yeah. So yeah, it doesn't actually matter from our perspective how many centuries elapse from the time we die to the time that God brings down the curtain on time, because we will leave time at the moment of our death, uh, and, and therefore it, it, we will not be present in it. We'll be present somewhere else, which is ultimately in God's presence unless we go to hell. Um, and, and this is where we get where C.S. Lewis comes in, because, of course, you know, is there anywhere where God isn't? The answer is no. And that includes hell. In, 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 in I know there will be theologians that are throwing... Uh, objects at the uh, at the, the, the screen now to say this. <laughs> uh, but but what what lewis says which i think is profoundly true is that it what the, the the souls in hell have turned their back on god so they have left his presence through the, through the act of their will uh and god not being a rapist uh does not force himself upon people um the relationship has to be one of love uh, and love in its essence uh, this is why there's such a high price to be paid for it. Love in a Christian understanding of the word, which is very different from the world's understanding, mm-hmm. it's not an emotion, 
It's not something irrational. It's not about feelings. Uh, the feelings, insofar as they're attached to love, are, as philosophers would describe, uh, would explain as being accidental, not essential. Um, so the, the, for a Christian, the act of love is the rational choice to lay down our life for the beloved. So, uh, in other words, to love is to rationally choose to sacrifice ourselves. So, to use that great paradox from the gospel, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It is ultimately the last who are first because to love is to put ourselves last and put other people first. And in so doing, actually, we become first in the kingdom of heaven. We We go to heaven. If we refuse that, if we, if we insist on putting ourselves first and others last, we end up with nothing but ourselves. Um, so that's basically what Lewis is saying in The Great Divorce um, and in that episode from The Last Battle to which you refer, that, that, that we are free to choose to refuse heaven. And those who freely choose to refuse heaven, which is freely choosing to refuse the love of God, and the love of neighbor, the two great commandments, uh, are thereby condemned to have their back turned to God's presence and to be after nothing but themselves for consolation for uh, as long as that will, will remain. Now, um, is there a judgment where that will becomes irrevocable? Uh, because, of course, if the will is, is revocable, in other words, if, if the soul could be become penitent, then uh, it would not be held because uh, the, 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 that soul would um, uh, turn to God, apologize, uh, and be forgiven and go, go through a purgatory or a cleansing process on the way to heaven. So the, the, the real issue is, um, uh, is it possible for uh, a human person, well, the angels are a different issue, or we could discuss those as well if you like, yeah, but yeah. is it possible for a human person to decide resolutely forever to refuse God and be condemned to hell? Yes. Yeah. Is the answer to Is it on a deeper level, and to switch from C.S. Lewis to Gollum, mm-hmm. is it possible through choosing a life of addiction to sin? In other words, by choosing a life of sin, because the thing about sin uh, is that it's addictive, that the more that we do it, the more that we need to do it, yeah. the less we're able to, frick to choose otherwise. In other words, that, that, that choosing wickedly, e- evil choice, actually compromises the will. And is it possible to basically become so perverted and corrupted by our free choice of of evil that we are no longer able to choose the good? Uh, and, and again, something like Gollum, uh, that 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 understanding of the psychology of the soul shriveled and shrunken because of its addiction to. To, to sin uh, shows us that it is possible, basically, that we are no longer able to choose the good. Uh, and and is that is that unjust? Well, no, not if that we, we're in that position because of repeatedly choosing to act uh, in an evil fashion when we were free to choose otherwise. If we if we find ourselves unable to free to choose otherwise, but the path by which we got there was a was a succession of free choices, then we're not really in a position to blame God. Okay, so let me ask, let me run a metaphor by you. If I were God and I were to lay down a, large, a long piece of tape or a line made of chalk and say, this is, the, this is the history of the world from the beginning of the end, and I arranged all my creatures, you are the first people, you are the people who will see the end, and every, all the rest of us are here somewhere on the line between the year zero and the 1,000 and 20,022, and you and I are standing here on 20,022, and you know, so, so is Pope Francis, and so is Vladimir Putin, and so is everybody else. And then when we die, we leave the line, and we, we exit the timeline, 
and we go off sideways somewhere to a different field. And we can go choose to stand close to God or we can go choose to stand off on all by ourselves with our with our thumbing our nose at him and we'll 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 call that hell. But everyone's leaving that line at the same point, whether it's Abraham or uh, King Arthur. I guess there's no Arthur. But let's say, you know, Julius Caesar, we're all leaving at the same time. Once we exit, once we exit this line, we enter eternity and it's no longer time. You're just standing in a space. Or, or not a space, perhaps, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but, but yes, but let me, one, one clarification there, perhaps, is that I don't, we don't all leave the line at the same time in the sense of the consequences of what we've done during the three score years and 10, proverbially, that we're actually walking the timeline. In other words, the, the, the space, if that's the, the, the eternal space in which we find ourselves, is actually dependent upon how we've acted on the timeline so that, that and our actions have consequences um, ideas have consequences in action so uh, by the time we die we have chosen uh, already um, uh, now whether after death there is a, a, a means by which we can um, can choose is, 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 is something very speculative and uh, I don't think that we can say definitively uh, because Gollum has lost his freedom to change his mind yeah basically it's possible to 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 have corrupted ourselves so much that corruption is all that we want and now actually all we're capable of wanting but if if we are if it's our own culpability that's this led to that corruption all we're getting is what we wanted yeah now what we want is going to make us miserable uh, but then, you know, if you look at life, that's actually what we see, that those who live the most narcissistically uh, obsessive life where they're interested only in their own self-empowerment end up being the most miserable people in this life. It's not as if, you know, you have fun in this life and then you pay the price afterwards. No, you make a wreck of this life. And if you like already creating the hell, paving the road to hell, it's already become in many ways hellish in this life. Yeah, right. You've you've. Uh, so, the, you know, to, to speak in material terms, you, your neural pathways have become have carved a channel the size of the Grand Canyon in your brain. And even if I wanted to tomorrow, I can't stop uh, whatever it is. Yeah, but, it, yeah. but it gets complicated even then, though. And this is why ultimately we have to uh, uh, acknowledge the limitations of our human capacity to reason. First of all, it's very important to distinguish between reason as an absolute which is ultimately God, the Logos, uh, and our, our capacity to do it. Um, and the analogy I sometimes use is of, uh, you know, a, a dog uh, looking at its master reading the newspaper. Um, now, the, 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 mar the dog knows enough by using its doggy reason that while uh, the man is sitting down looking at this newspaper, he's not either going to be fed or taken for a walk. It's not until the man puts the newspaper down that anything exciting is going to happen from the dog's perspective. Yeah. But, but what the dog will never be able to do is read the newspaper. Uh, in other words, that we have to, uh, in humility, realize that there's a limit to our own hum human capacity to reason. So, for instance, even someone who completely golemized themselves in this life, if they were in childhood, for instance, abused by 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 parents, other people, sexually, physically, so that they, from a very early age, are not able to actually rationally um, uh, make decisions, make choices based upon reason because they're already broken goods, um, then at that point, to what extent are they culpable for their own uh, actions? Now, 
sin is still sin. We can't say that because someone was abused as a child, they have a right to abuse others. Of course not. But it, it, are those are they mitigating circumstances? I would I would argue yes. But the most important thing is that we can't unravel that. It's impossible for us to unravel that. Yeah. Which is why, which is why we fall back on an understanding that God being perfect is the perfect judge, and also God being the perfect being perfectly love is also. Uh, perfectly merciful now how that justice and mercy plays itself out in the judgment of god on individual souls is something which is beyond our pay grade yeah i i agree with that for for sure um i also think that there probably isn't anyone who isn't broken who's turning into there's something about Gollum. right why would he have why would he have murdered his friend to steal that stupid ring and then turn himself into this monster right any yeah, any, any happy healthy person it. wouldn't Right, but the but none of us believe, or some some of us might, but you know that we we we're all not going to say that we're not responsible for any of our actions because it's it, it, it's the it's our environment. In other words, it's mm-hmm. it's it's the abuse that we've suffered that makes us abusive. Clearly, we have to be responsible for our actions. That we might we might be uh, not, less able to be responsible because of our brokenness. But some of our brokenness is actually caused by our own choices, our own rational choices, and not merely because we are uh, broken beyond repair. Um, so uh, th- th- that's, again, that's what God that's what God untangles, unravels at the end, is to what extent is, is the miserable position you're in. And, of course, part of the judgment, and I'm sure part of the purgatorial experience, is knowing at the judgment the damage we've caused not just to ourselves but to others by our selfishness and our sinful actions now if you if you are if you're sorry for your sins then the pain is is redemptive by the grace of god that you, seeing how much you've caused others, others to suffer is going to cause you to suffer that's the suffering of purgatory you're going to you're going to be hurt by the fact that, by the knowledge that you've hurt others um, if of course however that you're so hardened in your sin that you couldn't give the proverbial damn, then you're proverbially damned. I think that makes perfect sense. And we have people who to completely reverse their course in their own lifetimes from any alcoholic in recovery who is successfully doing that to St. Paul, who was persecuting God's people and then gave his life the rest of his life, not only his death, but his the entire day. And so how much more so in the afterlife. And we have C.S. Lewis's murderer who comes to try to help the other ghosts in the great divorce uh, as, as an example. Right. So I think, but then I also imagine once you're dead, you can, where the next place you can, you can determine whether that's going to be heaven. I'm sorry. It's going to be hell or purgatory, depending on your orientation. Well, it depends upon how you, uh, the way that Lewis describes it in the last battle, of course, is that when you die, you look upon the face of God. Uh, Aslan, of course, in the in, in in the in the context of the story, um, and you look upon the face of God. Now, if your eyes are, uh, are turned away in in hatred hatred uh, of of the God that you've you always despised and you still despise and you just don't want to be there, then you won't be there. You'll be where where you want to be, which is not there, <laughs> not in the presence of God. Yeah. If, on the other hand, you look upon God with fear. Of course uh, with trembling of course with a, with a, with a knowledge and acknowledgement of your own sins and failings of course but nonetheless acknowledging that he is god uh, and his will should be done then you are en- you enter into his kingdom now 
via that antechamber, that one-way street, which is purgatory, where we actually come to know the consequences of our sins and suffer for it. Um, but that's a one-way street. That's basically just that where 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 we go to get cleansed, so we're, we're worthy to enter in God's, into God's presence. Which is which is fundamentally just and probably quite welcome, because I know my own worthlessness or my the the own folly I've perpetrated upon myself and others and why I certainly want to wash off before I show up like all the people in the parable who are off to a wedding I don't want to show up at a wedding having been shoveling dung in the garden I want to take time to get to take get washed and get dressed and all that I agree and then the, 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 the key thing is however that you know that none of us it's actually would be somewhat somewhat uh, uh, psychopathic uh, were we to actually uh, relish the prospect of suffering. We're not meant to relish the prospect of suffering. Christ did not relish the prospect of suffering on the Via Dolorosa. Um, but Christ uh, is the innocent victim uh, of suffering. Uh, and he's he's the innocent victim who suffers because of our sins. We have nailed him to the cross. Um, that being so, although we wince at the prospect of whatever suffering may await us in this life and in the life hereafter, we know that that, 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 that suffering is justified uh, because of what we've done. And we, we ask, throw ourselves at the feet of God uh, and, and his mercy, that he gives us the grace and the strength we need to, to suffer um, uh, as, we, as, as we should. And it doesn't mean we're looking forward to it. It doesn't mean we're not flinching at the prospect. But it does mean that we have to accept and embrace it. There's a wonderful line in a poem by Gerard Manny Hopkins, uh, a great poem actually on the mystery of suffering called The Wreck of the Deutschland, which is about a shipwreck um, uh, and, you know, how do how do we make sense of a loving God when there's a natural disaster, basically? Mm-hmm. Um, but in in that, there's a wonderful thing. Basically, that the choice that a Christian has is the uh, uh, the the face of purgatory uh, in front or the hurtle of hell behind. And what the poet does, he flings himself into the heart of the host. In other words, he flings himself into the suffering that leads to God uh, in order to escape the suffering that's that's behind, that that, that leads to hell. In other words, suffering is unavoidable. Uh, What are we we going to do with our suffering? Are we going going to uh, allow God to redeem us through it? Uh, are, are we going to uh, to reject it and and of course not escape it? That's the irony. Again, the other metaphor is the whole of humanity is not just nailing Christ to the cross. The whole of the humanity is being crucified with Christ. We're either good thieves or bad thieves. In other words, none of us can avoid suffering. It's what do we do with it once we've got it? Do we do we blame everybody else? Do we blame our neighbour? Do we blame God uh, for, for, for the mess in our life? Or, or do we embrace the fact that we've made a mess of things? Or even that others have made a mess of things, and that aspect might not be our fault, but in the big wider scheme of things, this is the way it is. Uh, and, um, and we ask God to help us in our suffering, in which case, as he promises us, we'll be with him in paradise. And do you have a feeling why suffering is necessary in the first place? Is it just because we are so willful and we've already rejected God so many times that this is the only way to free ourselves from that? From that? 
it's inseparable. Love is inseparable from love. Um, in in other words, from the, 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 what, la, la, love, as I've said, as a, as a, as a, a, a Christian uh, understanding of love is to freely choose to sacrifice ourselves for, for the other. So there's an element of sacrifice in the act of giving ourselves to another, whether it's God or our neighbor or our enemy. Um, so uh, the, the, to, to love is to self-sacrifice so in that sense there's an element of um of sacrifice of, of, of suffering in the nature of love itself but of course when we freely choose to refuse to love then we cause all sorts of suffering in others and then there's the consequences of that which we live with yeah um i i think god must know this so well and see it all from our point of view because it's friday so today we had the sorrowful mysteries of the rosary and it begins with an agony in the garden before any, before all the physical suffering of the of the flagellation, and then the social suffering of the mockery and the crown of thorns. It, like God anticipated his even God who saw the big picture and understood everything from the outside in, uh, had suffered an agony in anticipation of of his own dis- physical destruction. Yeah, I mean, imagine it because this is very important. I mean, the early church was 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 uh, riven with heretics who uh, denied the humanity of Christ, and it was a council of Chalcedon and other places where the church affirmed that that. that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully human. Well, you know, insofar as the divine becomes fully human, uh, clearly he is going to experience that suffering. In other words, it's not a facade. It's not a show. It's not God coming down in the divine but not being really human and therefore not really suffering. This is real. You know, and insofar as Jesus Christ is a human being, of course he's going to recoil in horror from the prospect of the physical suffering that he is going to uh, to suffer for our sakes. Uh, and of course that makes his sacrifice all the more powerful because it's not just God, uh, should we say, pontificating, it's God participating. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's such a mystery. Um and I think you, as you've explained it to me, it, it feels fundamentally just and fills me with hope. Um, I wanted to just read a little line here from the catechism, which confirms this. I, I looked up hell and then uh, section 1033, it says to die in mortal sin without repenting or accepting God's merciful love means remaining separated from him forever by our own free choice and the state of definitive self-exclusion from communion with God and the blessed is called hell and that's in quotation marks or as you would say inverted inverted commas. Um, and so I, I look, I, I hope that many people whom, you know, who were not uh, Christians in this lifetime because of circumstances, whether it be because they lived far from the Christ- Christendom or whether because they had very flawed pastors who, who turned them off uh, or against um, the church when they go and see the final face of God. They say like, oh, yeah, no, actually, I, I would like to be part of this as I, I recognize my eternal father in this uh, well, Chris Lewis is very good in that. It's what the church calls baptism of desire. If if you don't know Jesus Christ through no fault of your own, then obviously you're not going to be condemned to hell because you don't because you, you something you can't help. <laughs> That's yeah. not your fault. So uh, you know that um, that in the last battle, you know that, that the the the, uh, the follower of uh, um, uh, what's the name of uh, Tosh. 
yeah, follower of Tash, um, you know, he 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 because he always understood Tash obviously wrongly <laughs> uh, as being a good god and followed the good god as as well as he could virtuously comes to see the real good god and then he, the important thing is then how does he respond? Well, he's he's as soon as he realizes his his mistake, he's full of joy. Mm-hmm. For realizing that that, that that Aslan is the true God, because the true God is good, true and beautiful, and that's enough. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, you know, I, um, I would get in these arguments. My wife is a Protestant, so I have a foot in the Catholic world and a foot in the Protestant world. And when we used to go to these wonderful small groups, where we'd read Bibles, uh, the Bible together, and talk it over. There, there's so many of our brothers and sisters who are on the Protestant side of things who really believe, like, if you do not say the magic words. And confess right now that Jesus is your personal Savior, no matter what else. That's it. Forget it. Game over. There's no chance of redemption. And it really stressed them out. And it was just too much power for me in the hands of a potential evangeliz- evangelization that we can do or fail to do. And therefore, people would be saved or damned. It seemed it seemed absurd in the sense that, one, no human should have that kind of authority, you know, or potential authority over another. And two, like God is our everybody's father. And if you're a, you know, a a righteous Buddhist or Muslim or pagan or, you know, secular atheist and your heart is longing for him, we all have that longing, um, then you will recognize, you will recognize him immediately. And I want to um, ask you to comment on this because you said a beautiful thing on another program you were on Pints with Aquinas about a month ago about the laughter that you have when your toddler does something absurd and you kind of have to you you have to you know criticize your toddler because we're raising children but you your love has not diminished for the child you have to turn away because you're you're about to laugh and spoil the lesson. Yeah, oh, precisely. I mean, so, so, so G.K. Chesterton, uh, at the end of his book, Orthodoxy, uh, talks about uh, there being uh, one thing that, that, that God did not reveal to us when he was walking on this earth, that Jesus Christ, if you like, kept from us. Uh, when he went up into the mountain to pray, when he's by himself, um, uh, and, and he rather suspects that that is his mirth in other words his mm-hmm. sense of humor now let's think about this all right philosophically no um we are made in the image of god now in 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 um in, in, i look out the window here and i'm looking at trees they're also made in the image of god in the sense that god made them uh they're a product of god's imagination and the imagination if you like is the imagination it's the mm-hmm. way that we make things uh uh in our image so um so, so all of God's creatures, in some sense, are made in his image. But we, we talk about human persons being made in his image on a deeper uh, level. Um, and and the, how, how, the way we detect what that is, what makes us different from the rest of the creatures? Um, now, one is our ability to love. Um, in the sense we've just been discussing and the Christian understanding that love is inseparable from reason to rationally choose to lay down a life for another. So in other words, not to put ourselves first selfishly, not to succumb to instinct to nature, but to, but, but to freely choose to sacrifice ourselves for the other. So the act of love is something which is in us, which is not uh, in the rest of the creatures that are bound by instinct. And reason, 
itself. I mean, we can look at the sun and we can work out how far the sun is from us. We can work out how long it takes light to get to us from the sun. Or if we prefer to look at the sun in another way, we can write a sonnet to the sun. Uh, for instance, uh, the, mm. the lines of a, a sonnet by the, the, the Catholic poet Roy Campbell to the sun. Oh, let your shining orb grow dim of Christ, the mirror and the shield, that I may gaze through you to him, see half the miracle revealed. So we can write a poem to the sun. The sun can't do any of that. Right? Um, <laughs> so, you know, so the, 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 the fact that we have this ability to reason and to create, you know, create, create poetry, that we can paint the sun. We can we can we can compose a symphony to the sun. Um, we have these creative gifts. So God as both the good, the lover, God as the true, logos, reason, but God as the beautiful, God as the creator. So this creativity in him. So we we, we know that what that what's in us that's 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 separate from all the other animals that partakes of the divine in a special way. Well, the goodness, truth, and beauty, love, reason, and creativity. But the other thing is humor. Now, none of the animals laugh. None of the other animals have a sense of humor. Um, and laughter um, is, is one of the great joys of life. And uh, if it's something which belongs to humanity and to humanity alone amongst the creatures, then it's like uh, love, reason and creativity, the good, the true and the beautiful, humor is itself something divine. Yeah. So, so that, that, that's the thinking behind when, when Chesterton says that somewhat shocking thing. So the way I put it even more shockingly, uh, coming back to the, the, the discussion of my daughter, and when my daughter, my daughter's 14 now, it's not quite the same scenario, but mm-hmm. when she was 12, you know, uh, so when she was two, you know, she would do naughty things. Um, uh, and uh, it's my job as, 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 as a loving father to chastise and correct her and tell her not to do that. Um, but then, you know, it, she still might be really darn cute because she's a two-year-old and my daughter, <laughs> and therefore I'm biased, um, that, you know, that I, I can feel that I'm going to, having chastised her, you know, feel that I'm going to smile or laugh uh, because she's so cute that mm-hmm. it's necessary for me to turn my back uh, on her so that the, the actual lesson that, I'm, that she's being taught is not lost. Obviously, if I'm going to laugh, it's not. It's, it's funny when she's naughty. Not <laughs> so. The point is, I'm a miserable sinner, um, and if I can have that loving relationship as a miserable sinner with my with my two year old daughter, how much more uh, is God's love for us? And, you know, is God threatened by the rebellion of Satan? Is God threatened by Adam and Eve's uh, sin? Is God threatened yeah. by my sin? As I said, everything is happening in God's omnipresence. He knows uh, what's going to happen. He's not threatened by anything. He's also omnipotent. He's all powerful. So, um, and he, and he's, and he's love. Yeah. So, you, you, you could be sure that God, um, when he turned his back on Adam and Eve, I sometimes say he turned his back on Adam and Eve to hide the fact he was laughing. Um, now, that's, that sounds naughty to say that. And, of course, it's, I'm not I'm not minimizing the yeah. gravity of Adam and Eve's freely choosing evil, which is what, you know, choosing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They already knew the knowledge of the good. Yeah. <laughs> they were in the presence of God. So what they were choosing was the knowledge of evil. So they were choosing evil. Um, and so that, that's obviously a, a serious sin. And they're punished for it appropriately. But is God threatened? No. Does he Does he stop loving them? No. He already is in his presence planning uh, through uh, his mother, the new Eve, to actually become the new Adam. 
he is himself going to pay the price for their for their for their uh, uh, disobedience. So, um, uh, is he capable of, of laughing in the presence of, of of satanic and human evil? Yes, of course. Yeah, no that that's a that's a perfect example. And my kids are not quite fourteen, but they're getting there. And uh, already, you know, some kids will slam the door and say, "I hate you. You're ruining my life," <laughs> like because they're. Fuming, and I think I don't believe for a second that they hate me. Uh, And um, in fact, if if they were so afraid of me that they could never utter that, that would say a whole lot more about our relationship than the fact that this is a safe place to storm and fume and rebel and come back and storm and rebel and come back. Um, There are animals who laugh, I think, but or at least play. You know, I puppies play, baby lions play, dolphins, I imagine. Yeah, you can so, tickle a rat. I'm told so, uh, but but that's not the same as. No, I mean play. That's part. That's part of the development, and yeah. certainly the pup that young animals play as 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 a path to learning. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I know, I know, I, I, the, the, up to a point, a dog uh, is is obviously clearly able to love. A, a, a dog owners will tell you that, that dogs can 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 be a, behave self sacrificially, but it's all this all working on a much much lower level. Yes, uh, okay. and so you know, are we seeing part and it's an aspect of the image of God in, in in all of His creatures? Yes, but where is it? Where is it fully made manifest? Um, you know, uh, the the, uh, the 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 dog is never going to pray. Uh, that God is never going to uh, raise up his heart and mind to God, uh, accepting what it is as a God, God's creature, but not through its free use of the will to praise his creator or even to praise his, his owner. I mean, he has a, a, a love for, 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 for the owner uh, and a respect for the owner and obedience towards the owner, uh, but he's never going to uh, uh, raise up his heart and mind in prayer and praise yeah. Um, you wrote an essay in 2013 called Mysteries of Atheism, in which you explain how only the present exists. And as you said at the beginning today, that God only is in that, like God does not go within time, even if Jesus is within time, or we, I should say enters history, as, the, as Pope Francis might say. But um, it's it's a really lovely essay, and I'll, I'll attach it below. Uh, would you like to say that? Because I think that really helps in the discussion about Buddhism I had last week. Yeah, well, it, 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 the, the, the essay, the mystery, mysteries of atheism, if I remember correctly. So, let, let, first of all, about only the present exists. Well, let me. We need to clarify that. I don't think I say exactly that in there. God only exists in the present, um, uh, in the sense that everything is present to Him. So, the past is present to Him. The future is present to Him. All time is present to Him. So. Everything exists in God's presence. But for us, we experience reality through something which we call time. And the thing within time, for us, actually, we um, can only live uh, in the past uh, because uh, the, the future is unknown to us. Not that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, if something's not known to us, doesn't, doesn't exist. The future exists uh, in God's presence. But we don't know what it is and we can't know what it is. We we can have a fairly good idea the closer the future is to us. So, for instance, I have I'm arranging to go out. I'm going to have dinner with some friends this evening at 7 p.m. in a certain restaurant as it's only 
four and a half hours away, there's every possibility and probability I shall do that. But uh, seven years from now, what, I, what will I be doing? I have absolutely no idea. I may not even be alive. So uh, the future uh, is something unknown and unknowable from the, from the perspective of, of, of temporal human perception. Uh, the present is a bit like a mathematical point. Uh, Chesterton says somewhere that to try to live in the present is like sitting down on a pin. Um, the, the, the actual present moment is a bit like a mathematical point. It uh, only has time in the abstract. Um, because uh, by the time we actually perceive the present, it's actually the immediate past we're perceiving. Um, so we, we, we're reacting to what has just happened, in fact. Um, so, uh, so that's so this is getting really deeply philosophical. The thing about the mystery of atheism, which I talk about, which I think is the important point here, is that atheists will, will say that the, the, the Christian understanding of a triune God is, is, is rationally speaking nonsense. Of course, three in one can't go, even a two year old knows that. Whereas, in actual fact, time and space are themselves trinities. So, even the physical cosmos is, a, if you like, a metaphysical mystery so um time as experienced is past present and future if we if we if we take away any of those three components time collapses physical space you know is the three dimensions of physical space height height depth and breadth if we take any of those three away space collapses so if you like the mystical unity the oneness of space and the oneness of time are are actually two trinities now from the perspective of, of, of a christian that's what you would expect as miraculous as it is because if you like it's the trinitarian fingerprints of the Trinitarian God smudged over his creation. Um, but if you're an atheist who refuses to believe in mysteries such as being one, as, as, a, as the possibility, possibility of, a, of a triune reality, then you can't accept the existence of, of time or space, let alone God. And there's the mystery also that even though the fullness of all time is known, if you step outside of it, I am still making a choice right now whether to lay this blue pencil to the left of my computer or to the right, or whether to make do something correct or something sinful, or whether to pray for somebody who's sick, and whether there'll be with the future can be still yeah, the, shaped, even though once you leave, step outside, you can see it in its fullness. Yeah, well, there are two things. First of all, the, 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 the physical cosmos, of which time and space, or if you like, the fabric, uh, are real. <laughs> so when, when, when you're in it, then obviously this is reality. The, 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 the point is, of course, for all of us, we're only in it for a very short period of time. And that's why, you know, St. Matthew's Gospel, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is, is crucial. Because um, in the word crucial comes from the word cross. Mm-hmm. You know, that we're only here for a short period of time. This is, our, this is our tour of active duty in the church militant, the church at war against the powers of evil. That if we're, if we're good uh, and courageous uh, and loyal warriors in the church militant, then we get to get off, thanks be to God, after our tour of active service, uh, and then get to live in a place which, which is not at war, the church triumphant, the church which is in the presence of God, and there's nothing but goodness. Um, so really, this is, this is, this is the, 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 the war. This is where the war is fought. But the war is not the permanence. The war is the temporal thing that each of us has our own uh, tour of duty in, but after which on the assumption that we don't join the enemy, uh, we get to be with the victor forever. I think that is 
the perfect place to stop. And you leave us in the, on the right note. Um, I'd like to ask you, uh, what is what is your daily devotion personally, and how are you observing Lent? Uh, so, well, uh, uh, this particular Lent, I'm being better than usual. <laughs> in, in, what, 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 as I get older, probably my, my prevailing, the sin that I confess most these days is gluttony. Mm. I, li- I like my food and I like my drink. And at the moment, I'm really managing to make Lent, uh, the, the whole of Lent, the 40 days in the desert. I let up slightly yesterday for St. Patrick's Day because it was our son's 20th birthday. And St. Joseph's Day tomorrow is the anniversary of my reception into the church. So I normally let up a bit then, but generally speaking, I'm actually trying to fast every day. I'm not, that's not that's not normal. Uh, this is a, mm-hmm. so far a good Lent. <laughs> make, please God, may continue. As regards, <laughs> prayer, as regards prayer, you know, I, I always make a point to send a penitential psalms every day. I say additional additional prayers. Obviously, I try to have some spiritual uh, some additional spiritual reading. Although this this year, actually, I've decided to continue the reading. Uh, a novel by Robert Hugh Benson because it's it's a Catholic novel set in the reign of Elizabeth I, which is the, the characters are laying down their life for Jesus Christ. So it seems to me that that is spiritual reading. So I've continued with that. Last year, I actually there's a wonderful book, um, a spiritual retreat uh, following uh, Dante's Purgatory by a priest from uh, from Toronto. I, I, that, but anyway. So spiritual reading, uh, additional prayers, and and fasting are, are the way that I'm doing. We're, I'm personally celebrating uh, Lent this year. Perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, and the last thing I'd like to ask you to do is: Would you pray for our listeners and our families and and our world? Yes, indeed. In the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we ask that the words that have been spoken in this podcast and the words that are spoken in in, in Chris's podcast moving forward may touch the hearts and minds of people and that may his words be your words, may the words of his guests be your words and that through those words everybody may be brought closer to you who is the word. We ask this, Lord, in your name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Joseph Pierce. My pleasure. God bless you. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Chris O'Dinitz and Joseph Pierce recorded this conversation on Friday, March 18, 2022, the Feast of St. Cyril of Jerusalem, who wrote in the 4th century that Jesus Christ stretched out his hands on the cross, that he might embrace the ends of the world, for this Golgotha is the very center of the earth. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Their website is www.gscoasterband.com. And our logo, the image of the dog, is from a stained glass window at Santo Domingo de Silos near Burgos in Spain and is taken with the kind permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales, english.op.org. I'm Chris O'Dinitz. Please email me with questions or comments, ideas for the podcast at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I thank you for listening. Talk to you soon. This is Christ the King whom shepherds God and angels sing.